is the Enter Sad Men Podcast. Every rock and metal album you should own. Reviewed, rated, and ranked. Well, in the words of Cheap Trick, hello there, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, welcome to another edition of the Enter Sad Men Podcast. If you've been here before, you know the rules. Three albums discussed, rated, ranked, uh, and reviewed. And yeah, we are now at episode one, uh, episode 165. We're at episode 65. I think that makes 195 after this episode in our Hall of Fame, which is the long list we're putting together of the best and worst albums that hard rock, heavy metal, progressive rock, and all of its variants have to offer. Joined, as always, by Richard and Steve, sitting opposite me, grinning away. Um, we've had a, a decent week this week. Uh, last week, um, Tico Torres, our tombola of topics and themes, who chooses what we're going to talk about, or at least a theme that we have to choose an album to reflect. Uh, he spat out, well, it was supergroups, and uh, none of us had really any problem. And we've all come up with something a little bit different. Yes, we have got three that are, are not, might not be well known to a lot of people. Uh, although I think the members of mine are, um, I mean, this is a one-off album by a one-off band uh, but two of my favorite musicians in it uh, those are Sammy Hagar and Neil Sean and uh, in 1984 they got together to record uh, an album with two other guys uh, Kenny Aronson and Michael Shreve uh, they called themselves Hagar, Shern, Aronson and Shreve or HSAS for short and uh, they just did this one album called Through the Fire which I absolutely love so that was my choice. Well, I'm going to come back to Steve because Steve's choice bears a little bit of conversation before we start talking about stuff. So, um, well, I, I picked a band that um, I've kind of thought about for other things previously in previous episodes and never quite got to. And um, I suppose arguably it's a little bit tenuous. It involves uh, a former member of Iron Maiden, a couple of former members of a band called Wildfire, and a former member of a band called The Next. It also included, at one stage, a former member of Tigers Pantang, but he was fired before he even got to sing a note. So, um, yeah, I went for the, uh, well, Lionheart. Uh, English, they were a heavy metal band, a hard rock band, but by the time they actually got into a recording studio two years after they formed, they turned into an AOR band. Uh, so that was uh, that was my choice. Um now, Steve, Steve went off piste in the biggest way possible. And, and I think he regretted the black one that he ended up on. <laughs> I shouldn't have done it. I shouldn't have done it. I, I, when, when we talked about, because we, we've got these list of topics and we we have them from the off, you know, when this thing started, we had a list of topics that TK would correspond to and then we'd pick them. And Supergroups was on there and I knew that. And I knew when this came along, I'd said, nailed on. I'll just pick Badlands. And the Badlands album because I love Ray Gillan's voice and I love J.K. Lee. Throw in a bit of Eric Singer, um, and it's a great album. And then, foolishly, I was persuaded, having done Val Wow's um, Cyclone a few weeks ago, that um, the, the the guitarist in Val Wow, his name escapes me, which sounds dreadful, but it'll come to me, I'm sure. Kyojo Yamamoto was in a appeared in the second album by this group called Phenomena, who I knew nothing about. And I thought, okay, well, why have I never heard of them? And I did a bit of digging. And um, Christ, it's just this extraordinary collaboration of, of musicians. 
to what end, I know not, and I'm still none the wiser, but they did it, and they went out. And, and honestly, it would, it would take me 10 minutes to run through a roll call over the first three albums. It was a kind of concept. Fuck knows what the concept is, um, but it's a concept um, put together by a record producer called Tom Galley. It's, the, the group is called Phenomena. They've got all this art, all these famous artists, Glenn Hughes and you know, Big John Thomas, Neil Murray, Cozy Powell, loads more. I'll talk about it in a bit. And I thought, you know what? Let's give it a go. I'd never heard it. Um, and yeah, about a couple of weeks, couple of days into listening to it, I thought, wow, not sure, not sure I picked the right one. It, it's um, well, yeah, it's phenomena, and it's their debut album. <laughs> <laughs> phenomena, not necessarily mm. phenomenal. Well, they're not just they're not just their concepts, are they? They're, they're, they were mm. a brand. I mean, they actually sold shares effectively. <laughs> in it I mean, it's just like yeah it was bizarre anyway i mean a really interesting really interesting listen um if you want to know more about the show uh uk. find us on all the usual places in terms of social media and you can get grab your podcast as you already have done no doubt through all the usual places as well given that we've got three albums that are well if not obscure at least probably off the radar um better give you a flavor of what we've been listening to So the first of our three supergroups, I don't even know what you call them. Do you call them H. Sass or Hagar, Schoen, Aronson and Shreve? I've no idea, but I know a man who knows, um, and that's Richard. And he can talk us through, um, through the fire, um, their 1984 release, Richard. Opening album sleeve notes. Yeah, so th- I'll, I'll come back to it, but um, fascinating as I was doing, digging around for, for this album. I don't know if you two found this out, but... Um, Allegedly, without this album, Sammy Hagar would not have joined Van Halen. Sammy Hagar, Neil Sean, old friends, always kept in contact, often jammed together, always wanted to see if there was an opportunity for them to uh, just do do something and actually create some music together. Sort of as luck would have it, somewhere in uh, 
to of late 83, they both found themselves available. So they got together and uh, pulled in two of Neil's old friends, uh, Aronson and Shreve. They got together in these rehearsal rooms in Oakland where Journey rehearsed uh, for tours, etc. They spent a couple of weeks there writing songs, uh, arranging them, uh, practicing them, and then decided that the quickest way they could get this album recorded was not to go into a studio and lay things down track by track, etc., 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 but was actually just to play two or three live shows and record the live shows, commit them to record, um, because they felt they had so little time in between being demanded to go out on tour again or the next album with Journey or Semi Hergar Solo or whatever, whatever, whatever. Yeah, they, they decided. Well, we'll we'll, we'll use the um, uh, the mobile that I think Journey used for their live shows. Took that to these live shows, recorded it, uh, threw this album together, did a few more guitar overdubs in the studio, and then it was released. Uh, so recorded in November uh, and December. 1983 then a bit of post-production post-production and it was released in march 84 on the geffen uh, record label um it's got nine tracks it's uh, just under 37 minutes in length and was produced by hagar and sean uh in terms of tracks then they're written by sammy hagar neil sean apart from one uh, and i know we will come to it it's a cover it's a cover and it's a cover of white a shade of pale but the other, and that, that begins side two. But side one is the top of the rock, missing you, animation, Valley of the Kings and Giza. And say so side two starts with that cover of the Procol Haram song, and then Hot and Dirty, He Will Understand, and My Hometown. Yeah, so the, the Van Halen story. So what happened was Neil Sean was really good friends with Eddie Van Halen. They used to hang out. And once they'd recorded this album, uh, Neil Sean played it, played a recording of it to Eddie Van Halen. Van Halen didn't actually know, allegedly, who the hell Sammy Hagar was, but just said, who's this guy on vocals? But then started turning up at Sammy Hagar's solo gigs, jammed on stage a few times then the rest is history. Yeah, so an interesting bit of, of rock history. But anyway, uh, back to the album. Um, I mean, it's Neil Sean breaking loose, doing proper hard rock, as we've heard him on previous albums on this podcast. It's Sammy Hagar at the top of his powers, 
they've got a pretty decent back line behind them. Uh, and it, it's a thoroughly enjoyable album, and it was lovely listening to it all again. How did you two get on with it? Mm, yeah, well, I didn't like it as much as you. The, pro- the problem with these Van Halen stories is you never quite know who to believe, do you? I mean, because I, I know Sammy Hagar in his book, in his autobiography, was absolutely brutal about Eddie Van Halen. So fallouts happened somewhere down the line. But, I mean, th- that, that's, a, that's a mystery that we'll never unpick, um, some of the stories and storylines within that band. Um, but, yeah, as you say, through the fire. Um, it's, there's enough decent moments on this, definitely, to make it a really, really worthwhile listen. Um, but, you know, let's be honest, given their musical pedigree, it's probably fair enough to have expected something half decent. We've got it. It, it doesn't feel like a demo, which is effectively what it is, um, you know, and that says an awful lot about them as songwriters and, and performers. Um, and th- there's a couple of the tracks, well, one in particular, I think, at the back end where you absolutely get that live sense that, you, that is missing from some of the other stuff. Um, and it just feels like a show you'd really like to have gone to. Um, I think it's the final track. Um, and it would have been really interesting to see what a follow-up might have sounded like, you know, had they had a bit more time and put some effort into it. It would have been really, really interesting to see. It oozes rock and roll. It's not groundbreaking by any manner of means. don't think it was ever meant to be. But it bounces along at a right nice lick. Um, there's, you've mentioned it, we've got the crap cover to negotiate. Um, and it's not great. Um, but generally, yeah, fun half hour or so. Sammy Hagar is, yeah, forget my kind of pie-eyed views of, of, of Van Halen and the whole story. Sammy Hagar's just a great, great singer, absolutely great singer. Um, and and Neil Sherman writes to his strengths, I think, and I think that's um, their relationship's clearly quite important. But this doesn't feel like a journey album in any way. I, it's almost as if Sherman has sort of taken the opportunity to just sort of flex some different creative muscles, I think, and, you know, ones he wouldn't use much dealing with journey. So I think that's really refreshing. And, and Hagar just sounds like Hagar. You could slot him in anywhere. Just brilliant. So I like, I do like a lot of this, but there's a, there's a couple of, there's a couple of tracks in there I'm not that, not that, not that bothered about at all. I mean, first, I mean, first off, I don't believe for a minute, not one single minute, that Eddie Van Halen had never heard of Sammy Hagar. I don't, I don't think you can move in those circles and not have heard of Montrose or Hagar. So um, I think there's an awful lot of, Stuff. I mean, not just not just this, but I mean, around music generally, some very convenient stories that are made up to kind of perpetuate a, a myth or a legend, and I think that's probably one of them. But um, anyway, so, yeah, it's a great legend. It's a great story, isn't it? We didn't know who he was, this man who'd been around Space Station Number Five and all of the other really big tunes that he'd sung, but we didn't know him. That we just hired him on the basis of his voice. Um, I think uh, I, I agree with pretty much all, all that you've said, Steve, actually. Um, I, I really enjoyed it. I think my two observations from the album really are, one, they <laughs> it's another album, a bit like Boston, where they, for me they start off with something that is absolutely you know, jaw-droppingly good, and there's only one way to go from there. And, and you know, no matter how good the rest of the album is, and there are some really decent tracks on this album, you always end up feeling, as I did with Boston, just slightly disappointed that they don't match what they start with. But that's a, that's a, a small quibble. I think the other thing I came away with was, and Steve, you're going to love this, um, I, I think it's just how much that, um, hey, uh, uh, Sammy Hagar 
defined, helped to reinvent Van Halen's sound because you could have put two or three of these tracks on any one of the, the Hagar Van Halen albums and it would not have sounded out of place. And I can hear Eddie Van Halen in my head playing some of what Neil Sean plays on this album. So I think it's really interesting just how influential Sammy Hagar was to Van Halen circa you know, 1986. Um, not, you know, not all that long after this album was was pumped out. No, great album, good choice, really enjoyed it. Never heard it before. I know that Kerrang! almost wet themselves when this came out back in 83. Yeah, really good, really good. Enjoyed, enjoyed listening to it this week. Really have. All right, okay. Well, yeah, let's give it a listen then. Uh, so five tracks on side one, four on side two, and side one kicks off, as Mark says, with an absolute belter uh, called Top of the Rock. Uh, yeah, a simple, upbeat riff. I mean, Hagar's immediately on fine, fine vocal form. Rhythm section kicks in and it just breaks loose. Breaks loose. I mean, it, it's, it's, you say, Steve, I, I think, Sean needed an outlet for some proper axery, didn't he? Uh, and uh, and that and he really did cut loose on this album and on and on this track. Um, I mean, it's pretty straight ahead. This is no messing. It's not. This isn't complex. Uh, but it's, yeah, it's just a brilliant opener. Yeah, that's what I, that's the, the first thing I put was just straight ahead radio rock to start, and it's um, a thoroughly accessible, thoroughly enjoyable. Um, this is just rock as you liked it in the mid eighties. I think it's it's spot on, um, and shown's the star. You know, I love how you guys voice. I do, um, but um, the guitar work in this is brilliant. The the, the 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 back room. I don't know much about, if anything, really about Aronson and Shreve. Able bodies, the pair of them. I'm sure um, supplying a decent rhythm section all adds up to a yeah proper good opener. Sammy Hagar is absolutely obsessed by standing on top of the world in some way. Because um, that's what this is about, top of the rock, the rock being the earth, um, standing on top of the world. He did with Van Halen and best of both worlds, and anything to do with the world and being on top of it is pretty much up Sammy Hagar's street. Um, absolutely love this. I heard it. Uh, it was I think took about forty seconds before I kind of went playlist um, because it's just got a gorgeous hook, fantastic guitar work, absolutely infectious riff going all the way through it brilliant absolutely brilliant song yeah you talk about radio friendly it i mean it, it was never released as a single this but it, it got it actually got more airplay on uh on us radio than the the single than that which was what they released what a shade of pale as a as a single that's fascinating because uh, you, you stick you stick them live show a, a live video of them doing this and that's all over mtv in my eyes is i think it's a great it's absolutely cut out for it how fucking smoking is this guitar? Uh, this guitar solo as well on it, just absolutely <laughs> smackingly good. Yeah, he really, really cuts loose, doesn't he? All right, well, let's move on. So, track two is "Missing You." Uh, so, this is a bit more mid-paced, sort of more, I guess, hard AOR. Um, yeah, good, a little bit of synth work. There's no credit uh, on any of the synths. I'm presuming uh, Hagar or, or Sean added those as an as an overdub. Um, again, uh, I mean, Hagar's range w- w- is just phenomenal. I mean, he's, he's one of my, my favorite vocalists, certainly great harmonies. I get a really nice chuggy guitar on, on, on this second track. 
Um, and and um, I love the way the song just sort of builds and builds and builds. Uh, and if it is true that I mean th- this was yeah this was recorded live. Um, I mean, Hagar hits every note on this. Uh, do you know what? If they'd started with this track, you'd have gone, that's a fantastic opening track. Um, and, and it only it only is kind of less good because of what's gone before it in my head. But um, it, this is just, if you wanted a song that kind of just typified what 80s radio rock was, not even in 83, but 84 and 85, this is it. I mean, that they are, I was going to say ahead of their, ahead of their time, but that makes it sound like they're inventing something new. They're not. There are lots of bands doing this, but they just do it so well that, you know, you just can't help but be seduced by it and sucked into it. And just, you know, um, it, this comes on the radio. You, you, the windows are open and you're kind of, you know, uh, you're in, you know, wherever, Venice Beach again. <laughs> great, great song. It is slick. It's very slick, isn't it? It's, it's, if, if the first track was, you know, straight ahead rock, this is kind of straight ahead AOR, as, as Richard says. It doesn't give me the woody in quite the same way that the first one does, but, um, you know, I still like it. Okay, let's move on to track three, and uh, that is animation. Um yeah, a bit more of a progressive start to this one, isn't there? Sort of stop, start guitar and bass and drums. And then it sort of clicks into this sort of slow walking riff. Um, I mean, really good interplay between the instruments on this. I mean, so in terms of the um, the, the rhythm section, so Michael Shreve used to be in Santana. Um, so that's where Sean uh, knew him from. And uh, Kenny Aronson, uh, he spent most of his early career playing with Rick Derringer or Derringer and um, and also uh, played bass for Billy Squire. Billy Squire opened for Journey. That's how we got to know Neil Sean. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, as you say, the, I think that this is, it, it for, for me, st- this album starts on a massive high. Track two, nearly as good. Track three, not quite as good. Still like it. Really nice, sort of long, sustained solo from Sean. I mean, again, so, so, showing so many different styles on this album. Um, but yeah, animation. What are your thoughts? This has got right on my tits this week. <laughs> <laughs> it's one of those songs where, and, and Hagar did did uh, a lot, a, a bit of this with Van Hayden as well. It's one of these things where you get this very kind of staccato staccato mm. choppy vocal and a, and a choppy riff to match and it all builds up into a bridge and you think yeah okay it's going to get going now it's actually going to go somewhere and then it doesn't it just goes straight back into choppy riff choppy vocal i i found it really frustrating i i've not been able to get into this track at all um i think his vocal is absolutely musically vocals brilliant I get the musicality, you know, the, the technical ability of the band, particularly Sean. It's, yeah, it's all there. Do I like the track? No, I don't. Steve? Yeah, no, Mark's just read my notes, word for word. Yeah, I've got um, – I, I cannot get on with this at all. Um, it was such a disappointment after the first two tracks. Just just not get – I've just put – I've called it clumsy amongst, amongst a, a litany of other words, but um, 
I just and I do like my progs, you know, but I'm just not picking it up really. Not enjoying this. <laughs> it just seems like a real miss. It seems like a real misstep. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, 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 I still don't mind it. I don't mind it. Mm-hmm. I think it's quite quite good. Okay. Well, let's move on to the uh, well, the last two tracks. I mean, they're they're two separate tracks, but essentially a a pair. Uh, and uh, that is uh, Value of the Kings, and then a, a track called Giza. Um, I mean, the, the yeah, so, so Giza is basically just sort of a, a big guitar solo on the end with with Hagar belting out Giza over the top. Um, but the but the but the track proper. Um, so Value of the Kings starts with um, sort of very atmospheric guitars, then a big drum beat comes in. I mean, big power chords from Neil Sean. The whole song's about, uh, obviously, about Egypt. Uh, so Hagar spent a few weeks in Cairo and Luxor visiting the pyramids. Got the ideas from that. Uh, came back when him and Sean were writing this. Uh, so Hagar presented his thoughts, his ideas, the, the words. And then Sean sort of started to create that sort of soundscape beneath it all. And this is, I mean, it's got a pretty big, epic sound, this. So you see, so nice bit of chug in the middle. Um, and I mean, Sammy Hagar did play a number of or present a number of songs to Neil Sean whilst they were writing this. Some of which Neil, Neil said, "Yeah, we should put that on the album." But I mean, there was one, uh, for example, he presented uh, which ended up on VOA, which was Hagar's next solo album after this, called "I Can't Drive 55," which obviously we hmm. we know well. And uh, he uh, Hagar presented these these lyrics and this idea of a song to to Sean, and Sean said, "No, no." That's a Sammy Hagar song. You can keep that one. The album's come back to life big time. I love that kind of, there's, a, there's almost a, a Gods of War feel to that opening, isn't mm. there? Very Def Leppard. And, it's, um, and then into that big thundering rhythm and riff, which just doesn't let up. Yeah, no, just solid, super solid. Great. Just a really good, you know, get your head down job. Top, top rock. Love it. Great way to finish. And to pay your own tribute to, to the Black Sabbath bassist like that, I think that's fantastic. Really appreciate it. <laughs> um, I, I, I'm with Steve. I absolutely love this. I, I think my only quibble is I might have retitled it. I might have called it something different. I think I would have gone for Star Geezer. <laughs> <laughs> It is actually. It is. It's got. It has got that rhythm, hasn't it? You're absolutely right. Yeah. No. I think this is this is great. It's expansive, isn't it? And progressive, and you know, all of that. There's loads. Of, funnily enough, there's a lot more going on in this than you originally you initially think, because mm. it always it seems quite simplistic, in the same way that Kashmir does. On the surface of it, it's just a plodding dirge. But actually, <laughs> there's a lot more going on. So uh, no, I, I like this. But yet another, yet another super shiny starring solo from from from, from this from the sixties. Yeah. yeah, man, he could play the guitar, couldn't he? Hagar, funnily enough, was very was, was well, reflectively certainly in his autobiography, was very critical, wasn't he, of Aronson and Shreve? Um, he called them overrated. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. Yes, yeah, 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 slightly overrated as a rhythm section. Yeah, you know, everything is relative. When you know when when. Your rhythm sections have been yeah. Michael Anthony and Alex Van Halen, and then sort of you know Bill Church and Denny Carmacy. Yeah, all right then. <laughs> all right. Well, I'm afraid we're going to have to turn the album over um, and uh, listen to track one of side two. 
Um, which, as we said, is a cover, a cover of a very, very well-known song, Why Shade of Pale from Proko Haram. Um, well, let's start. Let's just start by saying, I mean, how does it work? It's, I mean, good guitar work, nice, quiet guitar to start with, very atmospheric. Um, I mean, again, no problems at all with Hagar's vocals. We all know the song really, really well. And here it's obviously no no keyboards. It's all played on, on guitar. Uh, and I think Neil Sean really does try to preserve the mood of the song in, in his guitar playing. And it builds nicely um, through to the end. Uh, they liked it. They wanted to play it live. Sammy Hagar said he always liked this song. Problem is, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> and um you know it, it's a ballady version of a um frankly overrated song in my opinion so um as is so often the case on this podcast it's going to bring my score for this album down a bit i do like this song the original um it was a staple part of the erection section of the disco when I was at school. <laughs> uh, I remember dancing to Charlotte, dancing with Charlotte Rowley to this, and trying to keep four inches away from uh, from her. Yeah, quite, um, yeah. <laughs> was that the distance or the measurement? Yeah, she said three was enough. But anyway, no, that was both. Um, yeah, as long as I kept more, as long as I was five inches away, though, she was in no danger. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I do like I like the original Proko Haram for what it is I think this is an absolute fucking shit show that they've done it is appalling it, it doesn't you know if, if you've listened to the pod for a while you'll know that one of the boxes you have to tick with the covers you have to do something interesting with it I think Neil Sean does something interesting with it but Sammy Hagar really doesn't do anything interesting at all with it um, it is a fairly faithful cover with a bit of twiddling going on from from Neil, and um, yeah, I mean it's gonna it's gonna have a catastrophic impact on the score. Steve, yeah, very little to add. A don't like the song. B don't like covers generally. So that's a pretty shit cocktail for this thing. Um, and you know, it's just one of the most overrated songs in the history of the world ever. They failed to improve it, as far as I'm concerned. Interestingly, we will we will talk, ladies and gentlemen, later in the show, how to do a cover um, because there's a really good one coming up, and it ain't from this lot. Yeah, move on. File under rest for shouldn't have done it or shit. <laughs> All right, so let's <laughs> go to track seven, which is hot and dirty, and it is more sultry, earthy, quite a dirty riff from from Neil Sean. I mean, hot and dirty. You can imagine what it's about. <laughs> Uh, lots of lay guitars. Um, I mean, so I think on this song, Aronson really does uh, come through. I, I think that it's a top bass riff throughout this this song. Again, fairly straight ahead rock. Uh, lots of noodling from Sean here, there, and everywhere. I mean, it's a it's a good solid rock chugger, isn't it? We are very definitely and firmly in Sammy Hagar territory here. You know, this is his entire career in microcosm really this is what he does well it's there's some fantastic guitar work i agree you know the bass uh bass play bass playing on this is really good but i do kind of get a sense that that side two has been a bit of an issue for them mm. why do you why would you start side two with whiter shade of pale if you had something better well they did have something better this i'm not sure 
I'm not sure what's going on. I enjoy I like the song, um, but I'm not sure it's anywhere near as good as anything really on side one, um, with the exception of animation. Mm. Yeah, you need to try and shoot from the hip on the school run next time, don't you? Or um, live wire. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, no, the, the, as soon as I saw the name of this track, I, I immediately thought of Down and Dirty, got that in my head. But um, yeah. And, and having thought that through, I can actually now hear Menachetti singing this, which is even more annoying um, because, it, you know, it's not a Y&T song. They're quite similar-ish. Um, but this is less irritating than that, less big dick than I feared it would be. Um, and I quite like it. It's all right. It's um, I think the, the beauty of Hagar is you, he will make even average songs, and this is a bit better than average, but he will make them sound a little bit better than they are. He has that talent within his vocal range, I think. Not many do that. Well, Menachetti for one, Plant, um, Eric A.K. Just as a... <laughs> <laughs> right, so track eight is He Will Understand. And suddenly we have Crowd Noise, um, which appears on the last two tracks of this album, weirdly. It's not clear from the research I've done whether the first tracks, they did just edit out the Crowd Noise somehow. Uh, but surely it would have been picked up on some microphones or whether, as I can't remember if it was Harrison or Shreve says, that they think a lot of it was uh, done in the sound check uh, and, that, and actually recorded live but with without the crowd there. Anyway, uh, these last couple of tracks are We've Got Crowd. Uh, so this song's a slower ballad part, some interspersed with mid-paced sections, picks up quite nicely from the middle. Uh, another really nice bass line on this. Again, some fantastic uh, work in, in, from Sean uh, with his guitar. And some really nice note progressions in the chorus. Yeah, I mean, quite quite pleasant, this song, I would say. Yeah, I really like it. I love those little kind of little tempo and key changes after those first two verses. I think it's really clever writing. Um, I think they pull it out of the fire, to be honest, um, with these last two tracks. All right, so let's move on to the final track of these nine tracks on this album. Uh, and uh, it's a track called My Hometown. So we get a real much more up-tempo rocker to finish. Again, I think this is a very, very Hagar song. Uh, we get some evident crowd noise. There's some lovely little breaks on this. Again, a really good bass-driven groove to it. The, the fact that they recorded this live together after only a few weeks together as a band, my God, they're tight. Yeah, I mean, just absolutely phenomenal as a as a band. I really like it. Yeah, no, no, I get it's not quite my favourite. It's not far off. I just got this got a kind of jam feel to it that, that they're kind of mature enough and clever enough to pull off. You know, it almost feels like it's just been chucked together. Um, but that spontaneity, you've got to be good to to get mm. away with that sort of you know just convey a sense of spontaneity. Uh, makes it really impressive. And I love it at the end when Hagar and Schoen are pretty much, you know, jamming off each other. Top stuff. Yeah, really, really good. Great way to finish the album and indeed their careers. You don't often, <laughs> you don't often hear Sean's distortion pedal, do you? Yeah. You got it all, with bells on on this yeah. one. Um, yeah, I like this as well. I think it's a, you know, a rocking good way to end the, end the album, isn't it? Um, who knows? I, I've I've kind of decided that I can never quite work out whether crowd noise is, you know, really live and authentic or just overdubbed. 
I spent a long time thinking Thin Lizzy's Live and Dangerous was entirely live, only for Tony Visconti to kind of blow that myth out of the water and say that 75% of it was done in the studio. Well, you know what the, you know what the solution is, Mark, don't you? Just don't listen to live albums. <sighs> well, <laughs> I know. And if only that were possible, eh, Steve? Um, uh, yeah, it's, it's a, a nice, blistering way to go out. So many albums kind of go out on a ballad or something sort of slow and, and touchy-feely. This doesn't, this doesn't. This goes out screaming, which is kind of how you want it to go. So, no, like this. Good. Okay. Good way to finish. Um, well, we better move on to some highs and lows. I have, a, I have a slight suspicion it might be unanimous, but let's see. Um, Mark, shall we start with you? So the low uh, won't come as any surprise. No, it's uh, animation. And the high, in fact, right at the top of the world, it's top of the rock. Steve? Yeah, animation. Well, I could be contrary because I've given them the same score, Top of the Rock and My Hometown. Uh, but yeah, Top of the Rock, great way to kickstart the album. Okay, well, so not unanimous because yeah, I, Crumbs, you, do, you like animation even less than White Shade of Pale. It's amazing. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, White Shade of Pale gets my low. Uh, and uh, Top. Do you know what? It, it's also mine. I've kind of erased it from my memory. <laughs> No, I can't. I cannot sit here and, in all honesty, say that I like Whiter Shade of Pale more than animation. I don't. At least animation was trying to do something. So, no, I'm changing. Okay, good. Right. Fine. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so top of the rock for me. Uh, Cracking start. Um, And yeah, it's on several playlists. Um, Good to go back to this album. And we better move on, though, to the second of our super groups. Um, or, you know, well, how super are they tonight? Let's find out with the second one, which is Mark's Choice and Lionheart. Take us through that, Mark. Opening album sleeve notes. Yes. So this is, well, this is uh, post Iron Maiden Dennis Stratton, guitarist on the debut maiden album um could be heard dueling his guitars across things like phantom the opera remember tomorrow running free prowler we we reviewed uh the debut album from Iron maiden not all that long ago this was well first of all he got fired from maiden because he was listening to things like foreigner and sticks and that didn't go down too well with steve harris uh who felt that you know he he was stratton was trying to take maiden in a more sort of radio-friendly AOR direction, which is not where he wanted the band to go. And as we all know, Steve Harris is the governor of Iron Maiden. So Stratton was out. Um, And what he did was uh, he picked up uh, with this in 1982 and originally with Jess Cox. So Jess Cox had recently recorded the debut album with Tigers and Pantang, gone out on tour, joined Dennis Stratton. Now, Dennis Stratton is almost, I think, as controlling as Steve Harris because it wasn't very long after that that he decided that um, Jess Cox wouldn't be able to carry the material that he was writing and that he wouldn't be able to kind of fill the stadia that Dennis Stratton presumably thought Lionheart were going to be occupying imminently. Uh, as it happened, it took them two years to get in the studio, never mind uh, do any sort of you know, meaningful tour. So uh, Cox was out, and eventually, after a revolving door of um, 
would-be vocalists, they settled on a guy from Exeter called Chad Brown. Now, Chad Brown, having when he eventually left Lionheart, which wasn't long after this debut album was uh, released, would go on to the dizzy heights of Song for Europe, um, where he would sing uh, the most god-awful bloody song it's <laughs> ever possible to imagine singing as he attempted to represent the Wyomuni in uh, Europe's premier song competition, uh, a feat that was then almost replicated by Scottish band Heavy Petting a year later uh, with almost as much cheese as um, Chad Brown managed with his efforts. So Chad Brown... As it turns out, though, for all of that, has the most golden voice it's possible to imagine. And together with Steve Mann and Rocky Newton, um, uh, sorry, yeah, Steve Mann from uh, Wildfire uh, and Rocky Newton, who was in The Next, um, they put together this recording lineup. Now, by the time they get to record the debut album, they have gone from being uh, a hard rock heavy metal band, um, not too far away from what Maiden were doing, although slightly more accessible and with softer edges. And they've gone full AOR. Um, They're picked up by CBS. And uh, one Kevin Beamish uh, is assigned to produce their debut album. Kevin Beamish, of course, who had also been associated with bands like Y&T. So was fairly well-versed and uh, uh, well-associated with that sort of more AOR style or that kind of more radio-friendly rock. And by the time this album comes out, these guys have transformed themselves from a hard-rocking outfit (laughs) into kind of heavy metal's version of modern romance. Um, Stylistically, in terms of what they're wearing, in terms of the videos they're making, they've got a hilarious video for Die for Love, um, which features Rip Mail hamming it up no end. And and interestingly, we'll come on and talk about it, but interestingly, when you've got when it's a big deal for a, a rock band in nineteen eighty four to be doing a full on video which the the plot for which, thin though it is, is Chad Brown rescuing his girlfriend from the kind of crazed, um, eccentric, presumably millionaire Rick Mail wheelchair, who is in a wheelchair and presumably subjecting this poor, poor girl um, who seems to have lost half her clothes in, in the ordeal um, <laughs> uh, to some sort of depraved sex acts, I assume. Uh, anyway, Lionheart come to the rescue in, helico- in a helicopter and suddenly find themselves armed miraculously with, with machine guns. It is the most bizarre bonkers video you'll ever see (laughs) but for all of the cheese that goes around this band and there is a huge amount of it and for all of the well i was going to say slightly odd for all of the really odd fashion choices they've made and for all of the kind of direction of travel that they've gone in that's taken them away from what was really happening at the time and what might have made them really big because lionheart is at the end of the day a tragic story of missed opportunity, they come up with an album that is actually really bloody good. Although, depending on who you talk to, it's either the best AOR record ever released or certainly released by a British band, or it's the worst piece of dog shit you've ever heard in your life. Um, and it is absolutely split down the middle. It's absolutely incredible. The, 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 you know, the, the, the way that this album 
polarizes opinion. Um, personally, I'm in the camp that loves it. Um, I've always loved it. There are there are one or two moments on it where you just think, okay, boys, that probably shouldn't have gone on here. But by and large, it's good. Steve's already, I think, alluded to the cover that we're going to be talking about, which is you know uh, a. An interesting choice, and interesting in the sense of not that it's bad, but it's not the rec- it's not the song from the band that you, know, you would have expected anybody to choose. But anyway, we'll get on to that. Let's go through some really briefly some kind of facts and figures about um, the album. It's called Hot Tonight. It was re- recorded and released in either late '84 and released in '85, or all done in '84. The album sleeve says '84. That's what we're going to go with. Uh, released as sound uh, CBS, runs to just over forty minutes. Recorded at Sound City in Los Angeles. That will tell you tells, tells you pretty much where the band were in terms of their ambition. This is absolutely aimed at the American market. Every damn note of every damn song is aimed at what would become MTV. Well, there's no doubt about that. The lineup: um, Chad Brown on vocals from Exeter. Um, no, I can't find any previous for him so i don't know where they got him from but he turns up on vocals steve mann x wildfire on lead guitar dennis stratton out of iron maiden on rhythm guitar rocky newton from the next on bass and the lineup is completed by bob jenkins who has the absolute stone cold creds of being ex leo sayer so uh it didn't chart Anywhere, it will come as no surprise to anybody to know. I have absolutely no idea how many albums it sold. Probably one, and I've got it. It's a nine-tracker, four on side one, five on side two. Uh, Side one is Wait for the Night, um, followed by Hot Tonight, uh, Die for Love, Towers of Silver, and then Turn It Over, and you get Don't Look Back in Anger, Nightmare, Living in a Dream, Another Crazy Dream, and Dangerous Game. Journey, if you like, um, since we've got a journey connection in the, in the show tonight. How did you two get on with it? Yeah, I can hear Journey, I can hear Magnum, I can hear Grand Prix, yeah, I can hear bits of Def Leppard. 
Yeah, I I, th- I really enjoyed it. It's some some very very good songs. Um, some yeah, as you say, couple couple not so. I don't think there are any real massive turkeys on it. Where am I on this? <laughs> uh, you say polarizes opinion. Actually, I've <laughs> I, I think I'm a bit on the fence. I, I found it really enjoyable, um, but I, not massively inspiring. That's where I was with it. Uh, but but it's been a good listen. Been a good good listen. Steve? Oh, I'm all over it. <laughs> no, I absolutely love it a bit. I think it's um, mid-80s, middle-of-the-road, soft-top-down American synth pop rock done by a bloke from Canning Town who used to crush guitars on Phantom of the Opera. I mean, it's a joke, right? <laughs> it's just... I mean, when, as you say, the U-turn is... You know, we, we mock Def Leppard for some of the directional shifts they've done. This is extraordinary. Um, given the the rock pedigree of the band originally, to turn out this, oh, <laughs> boys, I've loved it. I've absolutely loved it. I think it works really. I mean, in all seriously, it works really, really well. I love the album. Um, I don't for one minute anticipate it being at the forefront of my mind for very long. It's so throwaway, but I think that's probably why. I think that's probably what it's supposed to be. But it, I'll throw it away with a smile on my face. That's 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 for certain. The tunes are generally very good. Harmonies are great. Chad mm. Brown is exceptional. It's just ever so catchy. Um, it will not get anywhere near the higher echelons of our Hall of Fame, I think. But on the Joy Radar, it scores so well. I mean, you can't take this seriously at all. That cheese upon saccharin upon cheese upon sugar upon more cheese. It's just brilliant. I've had such a blast. <laughs> Would they have been bigger if they hadn't had possibly the worst album cover in the world? <laughs> I mean, it, I it's all part of it, though, it Mark. Is. I mean, having seen that, having yeah. seen that video as well, it's just an abomination of a video, and it makes them even more likable. <laughs> it makes them even better. It's the kung fu kicks on the security <laughs> guards from these fucking camp. <laughs> from these, I mean, they're, they're dressed like a sort of—it's like a cross between soft sell and banana <laughs> rum. What they're wearing, and they're suddenly beating up security guards. Honestly, just a joy. Yes, I mean, yeah, they don't get their blouse on dirty either, do they? Um, <laughs> no. The thing that struck me about that video was if you're going in to rescue your girlfriend, right, and you finally come face to face with this woman who's been taken from your bosom. I'm not sure I would have felt or looked quite as awkward as Chad Brown did singing to her. <laughs> <laughs> Let's give it a listen. Let's give it a listen. Oh, my God. Um, the album kicks off with a, a track called Wait for the Night. And uh, you are left in absolutely no doubt about where this album is going right from the very first note because it's a piano synth um intro that then features a bit i assume uh of steve mann uh steve mann's guitar um and then it just kind of goes into a pompy rocky hooky um synth laden dripping piece of classic i suppose uh aor and um and if you get the if you get the album at this point then you're on board for the whole thing i think because I did. The the moment I heard this for the first time, it got into the drum rhythm um, and that kind of riff, and I thought, this will do me. Yeah, no, I'm with you on that, Mark. It's um, 
it's a long way from the best thing on this album, by the way. Um, and there's, there's, there's two or three absolute stonkers to come. It's a great start. It's a little bit of bish, bash, bosh, straight up AOR with a few neat little tweaks. The start is great, like you. It's just got you by the nuts. But I think they back off and then they hit you with something quite groovy before the chorus. The chorus is just so of its time. It's ever so Asia, isn't it? It's just, yeah. I, I just, it's just an adorable start. As I said, there's a lot of better stuff to come. Great opener. They open it, they give Chad Brown almost a showcase, don't they? Just by allowing mm. his vocal to it. They clearly understood that the, the secret weapon in the band mm. was his voice, which is. Yeah, they really pack a lot into this opener, don't they? There's a lot of different styles, bits and pieces, phrasing. Uh, yeah, I really like it. Um, I'm not quite sure about the. It, it, it almost sounds a bit Chicago for a while and the really quiet bits. Uh, but I mean the saxophone. Yeah. Um, I mean some really. I mean as well as Chad Brown, some lovely vocal harmonies throughout. Uh, yeah, they packed a load into this opener. Really good. Anyway, track one is followed well by track two, strangely, um, and it's the title track, "Hot Tonight." And uh, if you were if you were hooked on "Wait for the Night." then I was completely sold on Hot Tonight. It's just got the most sing-along chorus you can imagine um, and a lovely riff. Um, you've got Chad Brown sort of honeying his way all over it. And and also, I mean, um, I, I think it's Dennis Stratton's rhythm guitar that you can hear through this, and it's just brilliant. And the harmonies are fantastic. They've ramped it up again. Um, how many times do we talk about albums kind of dropping off the cliff a bit? on track two and they don't they've just they've gone through the gears and we're we're up a level i think oh no think about it without a shadow of a doubt this is this is aor joy absolute joy this is big shoulder pad chart chasing birds in bikinis on an la boardwalk thing of beauty i absolutely adore it it is so infectious magnificently pompy Love it. I mean, it is a very synth-heavy album. I, I did miss the guitar a bit uh, on on this track. Um, I mean, it, well, I missed it. Well, I missed the guitar on a lot of tracks on this album. Um, but I would have liked them to a bit be a bit more to the fore. I think that the guitar riff on this 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 hot tonight is fantastic. Would have liked to hear a bit more. Well, fucking hell! If you miss the if you miss the guitar on this album, you must have loved Phenomena. Yeah. Um, <laughs> where they have guitarists that they just don't use. Yeah. <laughs> we'll come to that. So track track 3. <laughs> well, we're into the um we're into the video and and I now can't hear this song without seeing the video. Um but this again, it, I mean it's a step down from Hot Tonight in my view. Um you know, it's and it's probably a step down from the 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 opening track as well. But it's not by much. I mean we what we've got is a fairly consistent kind of trio of songs opening up the album it's got you know lots of ooing and ahhing humanities harmonies um and uh, and it's and the you know what the chorus is it's fine it's not as good it's not as good as the previous track but you can't help but be carried along on this sort of wave of you know sugar and and meringue that is you know british aor at its best not as good as the, the previous two. Uh, I'm going to put it one of those inoffensive tracks. It's fine. It's fine for me, but it doesn't get me that excited. Yeah, it's a bit more um, It's a bit more bish-bash-bosh, isn't it? A bit like the opener from that respect. Not a lot. Funnily enough, I thought it was, it was dangerously close to opening up, like Beat It, 
Um, but then with a few, yeah. <laughs> a few ooze later, you know, we're not in Jacko land, but this is, this is, this is lion art. And I like it. I do like it. It's, but it's after hot tonight. That's a, that's a big act to follow. Okay. So the, the side closes with, I think this is the, this is, well, maybe we are going to sing it, but I think this is the unsung song uh, on the album. This is, this is quite proggy. This, this is, uh, I don't know about Richard, whether this is where you heard of it. Bit of magnum mm. coming through, but I'm getting boatloads of magnum on Towers of Silver, track four and the, the side one closer. There's a sense of the epic about it. I love the harmonies, I love the the phrasing that goes on through it. I think the guitar work from Steve Mann is exceptional. I think this is a this is a real mm. highlight for me. Um it's still it's not my favourite track on the album, but I think it's a really, really good way to close it. The album doesn't fare quite so well in, on side two as it does on side one, that's for sure. So upbeat, isn't it? The uh, the, the really, really good vocals, the, the, the harmony vocals. There's a real energy. And, yeah, this was... I think this was the one that I found myself singing the most. The chorus is so catchy on it. You just find you, you're reminding yourself that this is Dennis Stratton, for heaven's sake. I mean... <laughs> You know, is he actually taking the piss? It's just so far removed from anything he would have been confronted with, or you know, I Maiden. It'd be it'd be like Kronos joining Palace or something, wouldn't it? That's that's the kind of <laughs> the, the, I don't know. Anyway, but this is so lovely, so cuddly, almost too saccharine. Um, um, yeah, great fun, just great fun. Just I'm you're just trying to keep a straight face. Brilliant. <laughs> um, flip the record over for side one, track two, uh, and you get Don't Look Back in Anger. Um, and there was a much better song on this side of the album that they could have opened with than this, I think. Um, I find this quite lazy. And it's I, I'm getting quite a lot of 10cc and... I like a bit of 10cc, but not on an album like this. And, and I can just hear Godly and Cream now, and, <laughs> and that's not a good thing. Yeah, I was trying to work out who it reminded me of, those the, 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 those heavy harmonies. Yeah, I'm with you. I, it, it's There's a reasonable guitar solo and break I like, but otherwise not so much going on on this one. Yeah, they tread a fine line, don't they? But, I mean, because it's very it's, it's cliche-ridden at the best of times, but that they're in danger of just becoming a bit too nonsensical at some points, and that's certainly not a great track. Um, although quite a funky chorus hook, but it's just a bit unoriginal. So if you're going to do a cover on an album and you're going to cover a Gillen song, um, what are you going to choose? Um, no Laughing in Heaven, maybe. Um, I mean, Gillen liked his covers, Living in the City, mm -hmm. New Orleans, for example. Um, there's plenty of... Future Shock, you could choose. But they go for something else. And I'm not going to talk about this. Steve, you are the resident Gillen man. And I think you quite like this cover, don't you? I do. Yeah, no, absolutely I do. You know, I, I had a seriously heavy heart when I saw this on the track listing with the name Sea Towns in brackets, thinking, you know, oh, my shitting aunt, they dared to take on a Gillen number. So, I mean, in fairness to them, at least it's not the Kinks, you know, it's not the Beatles, it's not, you know, the fucking Who um, or any of the other usual go-to bands that groups like to butcher. But better than that, 
and it's a, as you say, it's a surprising Gillen song. And better than that, it's 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 decent. I think it's a genuinely good effort. Uh, I'm not going to sit here and denigrate it by saying Brown is no Ian Gillen because that's kind of obvious. You know, Brown's a very very good singer, but not in Gillen's league. But they do this song on Lionheart's terms. They Lionheart it, and to me that works. Mm. You know, they they've done something with the song, extended it by about a minute and a half for one thing. But they they. They've slowed it down and given it a bit of air, and I don't mind it at all. I really don't. Yeah, they've done it. I've, I've done a good job with it. I've still got a nice chug to it. Yeah, again, guitars are higher up, which is good. Um, I, I think it's really well balanced. And yeah, it was come back to, I mean, Kevin Beamish knew how to do his stuff because I mean, he produced Aria Speedwagon as well, and that's from uh, from where I, I, I know him. And I, I think it's a very very good, well balanced album. Uh, yeah, no, yeah, I like Nightmare. I like Nightmare. So the, the midpoint of side two, if if this album were a concert, for me, I think that this point, Living in a Dream, is the point at which I'd go to the bar. Because for me, this is this is this is the weak spot. Well, is it? There's uh, the the final track is not great either. But um I think this is this is just it's a slow song. Um and I just find it instantly forgettable. There's nothing wrong with it per se. It's what you know. We've we've talked about a lot of tracks on this podcast being inoffensive, and this is an inoffensive song. It's perfectly all right. If I if I walked out of the room and came back and it was the next track, would I have missed anything? Probably not. Oh, you would. I'm welling up here. It's a thing of beauty. <laughs> I'm in tears. I'm waiting for Barbara Streisand to turn up. It's just. <laughs> it's it's. Just... It's just, can I apologise for my earlier comment? Um, wondering if they'd peaked with the saccharin during Towers of Silver. Uh, no, that was a that that was a mere <laughs> teaspoon. <laughs> this has got a ton of the stuff. Um, I love this to bits. It's so shite. It's your silent night, but but it's going to get the right score. Um, <laughs> oh, it's just priceless. I'm I'm in tears. I'm in bits. It's the Beatles. I get. I just getting loads of Beatles. Oh, uh, years before it's time. But I'm getting take that. I mean, this is this is just a, <laughs> this is a standard mushy poppy ballad. Uh, no, no. This uh, <laughs> this should not have made the album. <laughs> that, that's where that you know what I said at the beginning. There are a couple of moments on the album where you go, "Oh boys, you shouldn't have put that on." <laughs> this is one of them. This is one of them. Um, but you know, Steve's all right. He's crying into his chardonnay. <laughs> but luckily, uh, it's followed by the highlight of the album, um, which is for me, which is. Uh, another crazy dream. It's got a fantastic piano led. Well, starts off a bit Telegraph Road, if I'm being absolutely honest, but um, by Dire Straits. Uh, but once you get over that, I like Telegraph Road, as you know, because Jethro Tull were exactly what that was. Um, but then it gets <clears> into this lovely kind of rising and falling riff. It's got a fantastic, um, fantastic catchy, well, catchy verse catchy chorus catchy everything it's catchier than covid it's just brilliant and it's a song that's just sticks in your head and stays there so yeah this is my high point um i'm thinking maybe i'm in a minority of one though i I, it's up there for me i yeah so i I was i was getting a bit of super tramp and i and i was getting a lot of foreigner on this Uh, yeah a lot more of a groove to it isn't it this really bounces along this one 
Uh, I like the star. Nice uplifting chorus again. I mean, their chorus is uh, really, really good. So yeah, yeah. This is a strongest side on strong strongest song on side two for me. This. Yeah, no, I agree with you both. I mean, we're very much back on the AOR bus here, aren't we? After my tongue-in-cheek view, tongue-in-cheek view of, of living in a dream, this is um, this is much more like it. Great groove to it, joyous pre-chorus, chorus tremendous, just the right amount of ooze, um, and I've had to measure those correctly over this album because there's been plenty of them. Yeah, really good. Okay, so uh, we end up uh, at the end of the album with a track called "Dangerous Game." Um, I- there is nothing dangerous about this track <laughs> whatsoever. It's it's not edgy. Um, it rarely strays beyond the predictable. Uh, again, you know, you, you sit there. I, I've sat there thinking, why? Why? If you're going to end the album with anything, not this, please, God, not this. But yeah, they do. They do. Yeah, and I'm with you. A bit, little bit too prescriptive. The backing vocals on this aren't so good as on the uh, other tracks on the album. Uh, so yeah, it's a, a a weaker finish after the the goodness of another crazy dream. Okay, well there you go. That is uh, Lionheart from 1984. The kind of uh, I suppose the the offshoot of Iron Maiden, though you'd never know it for listening <laughs> to it. Um, highs and lows, boys. Uh, let's start with you, Richard. So living in a dream is uh, my low, and I'll. Give the high to Hot tonight. Okay, Steve? Yeah, quite right too. Hot tonight, um, Dangerous Game, my low. Uh, well, I'm Dangerous Game is the low, but Another Crazy Dream is my high. So there you go. You've got a broad spread there, which kind of tells you that the album is probably on a level somewhere. The, the, you know, the tracks as a whole are probably on a level. What that level is, we'll find out later. Um, but that's two albums down, one to go. And, um, well, arguably... It's the most interesting of the three, largely for not very good reasons, maybe. Um, all I'll say is it's a, it's been a grower for me. Uh, how far it's grown is another matter. Steve, talk us through Phenomena. Opening album sleeve notes. Yeah, so Phenomena, the supergroup. Um, well, they were certainly a group. I'll give them that. Um, now, this... This app, funny enough, as I was listening to this for the first time this week, knew nothing about it. It reminded me very much of the Firehouse album we reviewed in an earlier show. Do you remember? Um, yeah. A piece of work that we were supposed to be fawning over because it sold zillions and won awards and was critically acclaimed, and none of us really quite got what all the fuss was about. Well, I feel very much the same with this because this is another million seller, which I missed at the time, and I don't know, and I don't know an awful lot about the background to it. I've hunted high and low for an interview with um, with Tom Galley. I hope, you know, maybe one of you two have had a bit more luck. Um, he was the record producer whose brainchild this was. I was just looking for a clue as to why he did it, what was his thinking, but I'm not really any of the wiser. I know what it is. It's a concept album, which in turn spawned a brand with merchandise, artwork, shares, for fuck's sake, backed by some big wigs in um, music and media industries. And to that end, um, it just seems utterly devoid of any soul and completely and utterly pretentious. Um, I don't know precisely what the concept topic was, and I couldn't care less. The supernatural, perhaps. That's what phenomena is. And I don't like concepts. But what is clear is that Galley recruited a hell of a lot of top names to get stuck into this um, and kept adding more and more for subsequent albums. Um, there were three albums in the original set, and then they came back and did some more later. 
Um, I've not listened to any of them because I'm not enormously bothered on the strength of listening to to the first album um, of taking this any further. Maybe I should because apparently one of them is a, a bit heavier than this. I don't know, but because this one isn't um, that heavy at all. So what is for sure is that the likes of Neil Murray, I could obviously I could run through a, a long list. Cozy Powell on this album, Neil Murray, Cozy Powell, Don Airy, Richard Bailey, several others um, were pretty much instructed to forget their day jobs and 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 skillful musicians that they were and just buy into what is just radio friendly frilly fluffy utterly anemic aor um which galley wrote largely on his own there was a couple of other songwriting credits um and sit back and enjoy the praise and the big sales um and as i said a minute ago that the praise and the big sales came along um it, it did well Taps massively, or did well for a period. Taps massively into that period, released in 1985. Had it been released in any other year, I'm sure it would have been totally ignored. So I've had quite a lot of fun listening to this. Glenn Hughes, who sings, I could listen to all week. That's fine. He's got a great voice. And if you like your shit drenched in synths, then great. This is for you. Um, I have to say, as I say, the first time I listened to this uh, last week, it just washed over me completely. Um, took the metaphorical needle off the off the off the album at the end of the final track and could barely remember anything that had just happened. And, and indeed, I found a lot of it quite annoying, earnest and annoying, which is even worse than just annoying. Um, and there is still some blandness on. There's a lot of blandness on it. Let's be honest. Um, and quite a lot of it's quite wimpy. Um, but it has grown. I mean, I'm almost embarrassed and ashamed to say that it has grown on me a little bit as a little bit as the week has gone by. I don't know how you two have found it. It's grown on me too. Um, once I got over the initial shock of where are the guitars, <laughs> given that you introduced this by saying, oh, there's some, a good guitarist on it. Have <laughs> they locked him in a cupboard? Um, <laughs> I mean, it's incredibly synth-driven. It, it is. It, I mean, it, 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 it's very accomplished. I mean, it's uh, well-produced. It's a good sound. But it's definitely an album that is curated, isn't it? I mean, this has been expertly, you know, put together with a scalpel in terms of yeah. this, as you say, this almost corporate, uh, this brand. It's clever. It's accomplished. It's professional. Uh, it, you know, it's detailed. It's involving, but it does come over rather soulless. Exactly. Yeah. Mark, did you find a soul that Richard and I couldn't? No. <laughs> <laughs> no. Phenomena. Do, 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 do. Phenomena. Phenomena. A fact or facts or situations that are observed to exist or happen, especially those whose cause or explanation is in question. And I have certainly questioned the cause and explanation for phenomena over the last week. Um, I, I, do you know what? Forget the music. It's all of the things that you've already said. Yeah, I've, I've quite enjoyed listening to it. Um, will I listen to it again? Probably not. I don't think there's anything on there that demands you know revisiting, um, if I'm being absolutely honest. Um, uh, but I spent most of my time listening to this album this week thinking, what was it that Tom and Mel Galley 
said to all of these people that got them involved in the first place? Because the songs are utterly forgettable. Mm. They're, they're professional. They're very accomplished in terms of how they're delivered. Um, they may very well be very uh, accomplished in how they're conceived uh, and how they were constructed. You know, the delivery is polished. But if you're Brian May, who was also involved in Phenomena, or you're Ray Gillen, or you're, you know, Kyoji Yakamoto, or whatever his name is, or you're Glenn Hughes, what what was it that sold it? What was it that Tom or, or Mel Galley said, do you know what, come and do this because dot, dot, dot. What's the dot, dot, dot? Because I don't hear it in this. Uh, all I hear is is something that's, and I think you summed it up actually, Richard. You know, it's it's soulless. It is you know surgically put together. It's almost like it's been designed, and then uh, you, you you know you've hired in suppliers to essentially deliver it. The logistics of it are all manufactured and 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 artificially constructed that 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 kind of that comment you made it solar being soulless that is absolutely what this album is you listen to it go yeah it's very nice you know it's nice Uh, i'm not going to get hugely excited about it it's nice and i'm not going to pick it up again afterwards either how it sold a million is utterly beyond Mm. me i don't know how they did it Uh, hats off to them yeah, well, well marketed, wasn't it? But I suppose if you do, if you if, if you put a gallery together that they that they did, um, all these people have got fans, haven't they? And all these fans buy records, and you know, I think that the answer to your question about you know what persuaded them to do it, surely it's only one thing, isn't it? and it's money, I guess. I don't know. Well, I mean, what, what, what other what other seduction was there? I don't know. Anyway, what I do know is that it was came out on bronze. Uh, was the label? It's thirty six and a bit minutes long. It was many studios were used, including the old Smithy in Worcester. Um, and there was, a, as I said, there were two more albums um, before they had a, a sort of a break and a hiatus, and then came back and did some more. Reached number sixty three in the UK charts. So you know, what do we know? And as for the personnel, I'll just a quick run through. So you've got on vocals and playing bass guitar and some Glenn Hughes, of, you know, Deep Purple and Trapeze and briefly Black Sabbath fame. And Neil Murray of Whitesnake was the other bass player. Uh, you've got two guitarists, Mel Galley, also Trapeze, also. But he played on Slide It In, um, the Whitesnake. Um, Big John Thomas, as the, the old budgie guitarist was known, he's on it. Um, keyboard, you've got Richard Bailey um, from Magnum fame and um, Don Airy, who needs no introduction, um, co-twinkled or tinkled with him on this. Um, and then a couple of drummers as well, Cozy Powell and Ted McKenna, who I didn't know anything about, but um, the Alex Harvey band, um, amongst others. Yeah, so it's, it's nine tracks long, um, but the last track, which we will mark because it's two minutes long, is shit or shit of the So there you go.
that's phenomena. Um, so let's have a little chat about it. And it kicks off. Well, actually, it kicks off all right. When it, when it did kick off, I thought, this is all right. Because um, track one is called Kiss of Fire. And yeah, you're immediately ushered into an, an AOR world. That's, that's kind of obvious. Synth-led intro. Um, Glenn Hughes, emotional singing all over it, which is brilliant. Um, bit of a guitar, and then bang, in come the keyboards on a gargantuan scale, and we're off on a 35-minute journey. And it's a 35-minute journey that's very much down the middle of the road. And listen, there's nothing in this that I've not heard done better by the likes of, sort of White Sister and um, Fastway and several others. But I like this. Um, and, I, and this is one track. I've, I, I did like this initially when I first heard it, and I thought this, this, this augurs well for the album. Um, shows the dangers of first impressions. But this has also continued to grow on me as the week's gone on, and which I can't say the same for the rest of the album. I love the atmosphere on it. I, like you, as I thought this boded very well. Uh, it's got a catchy chorus, very strong vocals. I mean, I felt this was... I'm a, I played Lionheart a few times first and then played this. And obviously, with Kiss of Fire, I thought, oh, OK, well, with this, there's, a, there's definitely a, a correlation there. I thought, OK, so we're going to have... We're going to have more, more of the same. Um, yeah, the keyboard solo at the end's a bit catchy. But, look, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll keep repeating ourselves, won't we? If, if this, is, this is a bunch of famous musicians uh, as a set of session musicians rather than a band. And I think that's the difference here. Yeah. But as a song, it's an okay start. Yeah. Yeah, I'm with you on that. Track two, first... Obvious change, well, not obvious because you just can't tell the difference. You can't tell one from the other. But Cozy Powell on the drums is replaced by Ted McKenna. This one's called Still the Night. Uh, not to be confused with Still of the Night because it's not even close. Um, this is a, an immediate nosedive, co-penned by Hughes. He sings nicely on it, but uh, this is a first truly unmemorable moment for me. I quite like this actually. Okay. Um, yeah, it's a it's a step up for me. I, this this did stick in my head. Um, again, it just throughout this album, I kept wishing the guitar was higher because actually, when you hear bits of it on here, I, there's some nice guitar work, but it's just absolutely hidden. Um, it does appear eventually, and we get a, a decent solo. Um, but yeah, I, I think still of the night's all right. Still of the night. <laughs> still the night is all right. You just want it to be still of the night, Richard. That's what it is. I hate to say this, but th- this sounds like it could have come straight off Contagious by Y&T. And I feel the same way about about this as I felt about as I feel about this. This for me is like bodily harm, and um, and and it's fine, you know. Just as bodily harm on Contagious was fine. Um, yeah, is is it the best work I've ever heard of its kind? No. Um, do I do I like it? Yeah, it's all right. Yeah, I got, yeah, I do quite like it. I don't think it's as good as Kiss of Fire, but it's it's not a particularly big step down either. It's okay. Okay, that's going to be a watchword, isn't it, for the for the next ten minutes? Um, track three, Dance of the Devil. Latest musician of uh, some repute added to the project is Fairport Convention fiddler Rick Sanders, um, who actually like the rest of them, is kind of dumbed down a bit. He, he has very little more than a passing role in track three. I'm sure he's an amazing violinist, but all we get from him is just a tiny motif a handful of times. 
at the odd moment in the track. And then for the final two or three seconds, he gets to do a little bit of a solo. It's a pretty brief cameo. And that's the kind of story of this band. You know, all these, they've just almost been restrained. Because I'm sure, having never seen Fairport, we mentioned, I would imagine um, he knows his way around a fiddle. Um, and all what we get is, you know, Cozy Powell's another example. He's a very good drummer, but you wouldn't know he's drumming on this album, would you? You, you wouldn't know it. You wouldn't know any of these people apart from Glenn Hughes' voice sticks out, um, which is, you know, the, the the issue with having all these great artists on board. And you, you, you wouldn't know they were there. They could be anyone. They could be session musicians. Um, so yeah, Dance with the Devil. It's it's cheery and chirpy and Okay. Well, the, I mean, the, the drums on this could be a drum machine. Yes. Because um, I mean, I think they they sound like they're, well, they're certainly if not synthesized, then they're they are heavily processed. Mm. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it almost started off a bit proggy, folky, didn't it? I mean, the that sort of the the fiddle guitar uh, duo actually reminded me of stuff sort of like Mike Oldfield. Mm-hmm. Um. But as you say, if these people are coming in and being told what to play, what can I say? I quite like the slowdown for the chorus and then it goes back in again. But, yeah, it doesn't do a lot for me otherwise. Fair enough. Um, they strip it all back a bit for Phoenix Rising, which is the next track, slow it all down, gentle start between the guitar and the keyboards. Hughes, who was called the voice of rock, apparently, by his fans. I didn't know that. He's a good singer. Um, definitely good emotional lung power, and you, and, you, and you get a sense of that in this song. But there are some odd backing vocals in this, and it's, it's quite ploddy after the kind of mm. introspective start. But in fact, very ploddy, and it just goes a little bit nothing very quickly. Yeah, I'm just, I'm just got, I find this a bit Michael Bolton. <laughs> God, the damnation yeah. goes on, doesn't it? But, but that's what it is, isn't it? It's you know, and a bit like Michael Bolton's hair hairdo, you know, it's it's all sorts of different, um, all sorts of different styles going on in here as well. So it's, it's more Michael Bolton than you think. <laughs> okay, so um, believe is next and um again kicks off okay into a nice riff um but fairly quickly goes into sort of autopilot pace you know boom bar boom bar on the drums throw in the backing vocals there's a kind of 70s disco feel going on here it's almost like shack attack fused with survivor but the bad ends of both there's a horror moment after three and a half minutes when a child chorister um I won't even name him, I won't even shame him, is introduced incredibly randomly. Um, but the only saving grace being that the exit from his abomination of a moment is pretty decent. Um, but the track's almost six minutes long and, and it's just way, way too long. Not enough going on here to, 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 to make it, to warrant that kind of thing. But at least the chorus that makes it interesting. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not trying to be funny. It, that, uh, it was at that point, and I get what you're saying, Steve, I really do, but it was that point where I thought, oh, well, that's different. Finally, we get a riff, which is very welcome. Mm. Um, I, I don't. There's an awful lot in this track that I don't much like. I don't like the. the uh, I don't like it when the guitar stops. Don't stop the guitar because because when you <laughs> stop the guitar, it all goes horribly wrong. Um, 
but you know, it's I, I I found this a bit of a <laughs> I know that bearing in mind what you just said, Steve, this is gonna sound really odd, but I found this a bit of a relief because there was something going on. <laughs> there was something going on that, that made me after the relentless ordinariness of Dance with the Devil and Phoenix Rising suddenly you've got belief mm. and something's happening. Now, you might not like the something that's happening, but something is happening. And I, I have engaged with it again. <laughs> and this track, this track <laughs> has grown on me a little bit over the week. I quite like it, if I'm being honest. I know that's okay. dirty. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm with you. I, I, yeah, this, this, is gr- this is grown on me to be one of my, yeah. my favourites. So it's the one I've found myself remembering singing okay. along i mean i i thought it did with the yeah the guitar makes the welcome appearance um and it's got it's got a bit of a journey yeah. feel to it so, so it's like damning with faint praise isn't it i mean it, it, it it's actually this this song is one of my favorites because it sounds like a below average journey song <laughs> this is getting better and better <laughs> so, so five tracks in. How many people listening to this are rushing out to buy the phenomenon? I know. Exactly, exactly. Can we re- can we retrieve the situation? I'm not sure with who's watching you, which is the next song, and that's uh, just a tame little rocker, isn't it? Really pretty annoying chorus. In fact, more than pretty. But there's a bit of chunk to it, a bit of beef to it. It's, it's a bit of, it's a bit rockier, but not great. Yeah, more energy, isn't there? Mm. Some guitar for a bit. It's more attitude in the vocals. Mm. Again, it, it's back to the soul or lack of it. It does feel like it's being done to a formula rather than any feeling. So yeah, sing this song like this, please. Uh, it's grown on me. I, I, I agree that the chorus is a bit annoying. But again, I think it's quite hooky. I think it's got a quite a nice kind of groove going on in it. It's it's a pop song. That's that's the thing. It's a pop song, and that that's fine. You know, it's it's a guitar orientated pop song. It's the sort of thing that you know you could hear almost hear Duran Duran doing, and um, fine. You know, it, for what it is, quite like it. Yeah, I like Hell on Wings a bit more. Um, the next song, it's got a nice almost wobbum feel to this at the start, you know, good sort of Saxon gallop. And it's a decent bass line um, uh, by Murray before Hughes comes in. But I, I find the pre-chorus and the chorus are awful, um, an attempt at something which doesn't kind of work. Um, it just it just flattens the song. Uh, again, I quite mm. like this. This is all right. Um, I don't like it as much as I like Believe. Uh, I certainly don't like it as much as I like Kiss of Fire. Um, but, you know, actually, this is an album that I think gets better as it towards yeah. the back end, um, with the, obviously, yeah. the, the exception being the one track we're going to talk about in a minute. Um, but, yeah, I, I, I'm kind of, I'm more engaged in the back end of this album than I am in the front end. That guitar-soaked end to, to, to Hell on Wings is brilliant, and you just wish you'd heard more of that. Yeah. You know, some yeah. real sort of flailing yeah. axe wind, uh, wielding. Really fun. Twilight Zone is the penultimate track, and this isn't far off the best song on it. Um, it still sounds... It, it's 
it still sounds like a kind of road crash between John Parr, Survivor and Night Ranger, but that's not the worst road crash uh, musically. Um, it's a deal more agreeable than a few on here. It's a good tune. There's a nice pace to it. It's a very safe chorus, but that's fine because a lot of their choruses just miss the mark completely. No choir boys, so that's good. Um, fair solo, straightforward. It's fine. I like this. <laughs> it's got, fine. Yeah, I've got I've got those two words <laughs> written down here as well. Um, I mean, it. How do you describe this song to listeners who haven't uh, you know, heard it? It sounds like any number of those 80s soundtracks you'd find on a Brat Pack movie. That's what this sounds. This song sounds like. Yeah. Yeah, John Parr. Mm. This is this is St Elmo's Fire and Man in Motion all rolled into one. This is the track that I started off not liking at all. Um, and it's, it's actually my favourite song on the okay. album. Okay, yeah. I really... I, I, I think this is... This is somehow bigger than anything that's gone before it. I think it's got more ambition, a little bit more ambition. Um, I quite like the chorus. I think that's quite catchy. Um, but yeah, it is. You're absolutely right. This is this is Judd Nelson and Demi Moore and Molly Ringwald and you know Ali Sheedy and Emilio Estevez all kind of getting into bed with one another in college. Sadly, well, not sadly, I mean, luckily, we're coming to the end, but sadly it ends um, with the title track, which is called Phenomena, which is, it only lasts 122 seconds, which is precisely 123 longer than it needs to be. Um, it's just some weird keyboard bits, a choir, and utterly pointless. Um, I, I can't figure it out. I, I mean, it's... It's an end. It's something to do with the concept, I dare say. All I would say is I was thinking about doing that. When you think about bands like Threshold that we did earlier and Dream Theatre bands like that, they'd use this as an, as an overture to a, some sort of, you know, 15-minute thunderer of, of true magnitude or just not bother at all, which is probably preferable. Um, but this mob just leave it hanging and it must signify mean something. I don't know. To me, it's just a dismal end to the album. I, I really don't have anything else to add. It's synthesizers and, and some choral work. Um, if we're going to mark it, then it'll be marked low. Have you, have you noticed that we're even struggling to be disparaging? <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> We've now taken sympathy on Mel Galley, or Tom yes. Galley, whoever it is. Yeah. 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 Um, anyway, yeah, so some yeah lows and less lows. Let's have them. <laughs> well... Um, for me, it all happened right at the end. <laughs> so Twilight Zone is my high and Phenomena is my low, which are the last two tracks on the album. Richard? Well, Phenomena is my low for you know, including that as a track. Um, what else? And I think Phoenix, if it, if it wasn't that, and we, I tell you, the, the you know a, a proper song that was a low, that would be uh, Phoenix Rising. And I'll give my high to Believe. Okay. Yeah, I'm with you on all of that. Yeah, phenomenal if we have to score it, which we do. Phoenix Rising, I agree with my second work. Um, but where I disagree is um, Kiss of Fire, best song by some distance, I think. But um, There you go, Phenomena. Um, the third of three albums that we've done on this episode of Enter Sad Men. Um, it is our job to mark these track by track. 
work out the averages and see where they fall in our Hall of Fame. So that's what we're going to do now. Reviews complete. Initializing rating process. Let's start with Hagar, Sean, Harrison and Shreve through the fire from 1984. My choice for this Supergroups episode. And the scores are thus. Steve gave it a 7.062 and a bit. Mark gave it a 7.187 and a bit. And I gave it, not surprisingly, this high score with a 7.312 and a bit. And that gave through the fire an average of 7.1875. Mark, how did Lionheart's Hot Tonight get on? Well, better than than actually I thought it was going to do, uh, if I'm being absolutely honest when I picked it. So um, Steve gave it uh, 7.9, sorry, 7.39 or thereabouts. Uh, I gave it 7.4, so liked it, well, a smidgen more um and Richard you were less keen on it you gave it a 6.8 um to give an overall album average of 7.20741 um which brings us to the less than phenomenal <laughs> phenomena oh the dizzy heights of sevens eh um yeah so the sc- so the <laughs> scores for phenomena's phenomena um i gave it 6 on the money richard gave it 6.2 Mark gave it 6.44, an overall score of 6.2111. And if I'm honest, I think that's better than it should have expected. Um, So, right, let's go and have a check out where these these three albums have found themselves in uh, in the Hall of Fame. It's time to put The Rock in a hard place, opening the Hall of Fame. 195 albums now in the Hall of Fame. And, well, they've not done too well because they're all in the bottom 100, the bottom 95. Uh, and uh, one of them is pretty near the bottom of all of that. Uh, yeah, you just heard that uh, Phenomena only got a 6.2 or so from all of us. And that leaves them languishing down at place number 187. So, yeah, not too good for Phenomena. As uh, so we go a bit higher, a little bit higher for our other two albums that are fairly close to each other. So Hagar, Sean, Aronson and Shreve, Through the Fire, makes it in at number 141, uh, just above Mountains Climbing and just below the Crimson Idol from Wasp. And Lionheart is our biggest scorer of this evening, but they just managed to get in at 137, uh, one place higher than Motorhead's Orgasmatron, and a place lower than Peace of Mind by Iron Maiden. I mean, whilst obviously uh, these are lowly places in our top now 195, actually Lionheart have done pretty well to be sitting there in between Iron Maiden and Motet. Yeah, and I think for fun value, it's still been a good episode. <laughs> we certainly we certainly enjoyed listening to those three, even if the score suggests we didn't um, unanimously approve of them. But uh, yeah, no. Good fun, good fun, good fun tri- trio. Okay, so, um, well, we need to decide what we're up... Well, we know what we're up to in terms of theme for next week because at the end of last week's show, um, we sat and uh, spun Tico Torres's Tombola of Topics and Themes and, I mean, Steve was delighted, absolutely delighted when Tico threw out live albums. Um, because Steve's view is live albums are just a, an opportunity to hear a worse version <laughs> of a song you love with shouting on it. Um, so, so um, 
we've been away and and the, the way that we're doing this now is that we whereas we used to do the reveal secretly just between the three of us on whatsapp on you know the day after the morning after we uh, recorded the show now we're going to do it live and dangerous let's see what i did there um in front of everybody so um well i'm pretty sure nobody's picked my album um so I, I thought it might be quite interesting just to just to have a bit of a guess at what everyone thought everyone else might pick. So I'm kind of expecting to see all the worlds a stage or maybe exit stage left. Um, the one I can't call is is Steve's. I mean, we could get status quo. We could get most. I have no idea. I, I have no idea what to expect from Steve. Go on then, Steve. Put us out of our misery. Well. Listen, we'll talk next week in depth, okay? So all I'm saying is that there are a lot of live albums and a lot of them are long, and I thought, I can't be dealing with this, so I've gone for a short live album. And also, just to piss the two of you off, I've gone for Live at the Hammersmith Odeon by Nuclear Assault. (laughs) Oh, my God. (laughs) So there you go. That'll that'll teach you. It's about 35 minutes. <laughs> oh, that's 35 minutes too much. But okay. So I've also gone short because I felt that we we need to, some more rush education before I subject Steve to uh, All the Worlds of Stage or Exit Stage Left. And I have gone for the live album with the immortal line, okay, Hammersmith, I want to see people dying from exhaustion uh and uh, it is the saxons live album the eagle has landed so the only question i have is do the balcony win this time we'll find out <laughs> next episode <Mark. laughs> okay so steve you'll be pleased to know that i've also gone for a short live album and there were lots of lots of options obviously but in the end i thought i'm going to choose something that um i'm going to choose an album that a bit like kisses alive launched the band several albums into their career suddenly this live album comes out kiss and suddenly massive having nobody having taken any real notice of them up until that point but i didn't go for kiss because i thought it would be interesting to find to for you to listen to an album steve where we have more to talk about than just the crowd noise over some otherwise fairly decent songs. So I've gone for the album that launched Cheap Trip, and it is at Budokan. So there you go. That's what we're going to be talking about next week. Uh, at Budokan, I think, is the longest of them. I don't know. can't remember how long uh, Eagles Landed is. It's about 40, 40 to 50 minutes, I think. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. So Budokan is 40 minutes. So... It's going to be a fairly pain-free week for you, Steve. I can deal with this. I can deal with that. No problem. <laughs> but, I'm looking yeah. forward to it. Yeah, not not so pain-free for us two. Lovely. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, into every life a little well, bit. Well, I mean, and as, as ever on this, we always have quite a spectrum to listen to, don't we? And I think we've got to... <laughs> we've, it, when Saxon are the midpoint... it's quite a spectrum (laughs) right well let's see where on the spectrum we sit 
uh, this time next time. So uh, thanks for your company. It's been a blast. We've had a really good time, even though the albums sit in the bottom nether regions of the list. It's still been a good week. I think it's going to be a good week coming up. Uh, join us again next time, and uh, we'll be talking about three live albums. All music clips featured in the Enter Sad Men podcast appear within the context of criticism and or commentary, and as such are used under the fair use provisions of the exceptions to copyright rules of UK and international copyright law. To make sure the rock rolls forever on, Mark, Steve, and Rich urge all their listeners to show their love and support for the artists and writers featured on the show by purchasing the original music or subscribing to a licensed and regulated streaming service.